Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm your life coach, Jessica Dumas. I'm a professional speaker and coach who empowers women everywhere to use their voice to take up space and change the world. My goal is to help you speak with clarity and confidence while giving you practical guidance and tools by sharing real life experiences of overcoming. So turn up the volume and grab a pen. You're gonna wanna write this down. Jessica Dumas Coaching and Training and the Confidence and Communication Podcast is overflowing with appreciation to our first podcast sponsor, The Johnston Group, Inc. The Johnston Group provides employee benefits to more than 30,000 businesses across Canada. Thank you so much for supporting my vision and investing in the podcast. Please accept my extreme gratitude, which will help get the message of self-love, healing, and growth out to a greater audience. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you because, first of all, I love the work that you do. Like, even when we met years ago, I thought it was incredible. Just, you know, what didn't completely align with where I wanted to go. But your career is really interesting. But you are also just a very incredible person. Like, you're very intelligent. You have so much energy. And... You're a very powerful woman because of that, because of all of the things that you make happen through your career. But the fact that like you jumped into this vision that we know that Keith had this vision, went across Canada and was like, I'm doing this thing. And like you jumped on it, but you're like the perfect person to be doing it. So yeah, like I definitely want to hear about your career. I want to hear about what you love about what you do. And also, another thing that we're going to talk about is in your your uh, bio, I saw that it says that you're an experienced speaker, facilitator, and trainer. And I've never heard that before either. So I'm like, who is <laughs> so much I don't know about you. So, so welcome and thanks for being on my podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And what a great way to go into the weekend with a like supercharged conversation and reconnecting. I, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, good, good. So, okay, so right now you are the Director of Partnerships for Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada. And uh, it was so fun to connect at the conference. So I don't know if you heard my podcast, but I think it was episode number 74. I recorded a podcast all about the event. I called it MC Highlights. Because it was the most outstanding event that I think I've ever done. Like, it was fun. Yeah, we had an absolute blast in Winnipeg. I don't think we ever could have imagined that we would be in a place where we're welcoming more than a thousand delegates. And I mean, I, I, I can't put it into like a, a word or a feeling about how much energy was in that room and, you know, good positive feelings of just this upswell of momentum for the work that we're doing in Indigenous tourism. And really, for me, it was one of the highlights of my career, for sure, just seeing faces from around the world, really, and just this commitment to a better future for Indigenous people here in Canada, but also, you know, in respective traditional territories around the world as well. So super fun. (laughs) Yeah, nice. And definitely like a culmination of you're working, making all this stuff happen. And then it's like, boom, this amazing event. Like it's just going to keep going. Like there's so much. 
I know. I, I can feel it. I, it's the first time in my event history uh, over this career that I've had where we're in the boardroom post event. We always do kind of that, you know, decompression. What do we do well? What didn't we do well? What do we have? And we're like, normally I'm like, okay, you know what, you guys, you, you got to give me like a few weeks to recover. My brain hurts. I'm exhausted. And this time around, I'm like, how are we going to do it again? What are we, where are the big ideas? You know, how do we continue to build on this big thing that we've been on over the last 10, 12, 15 years? So super thrilled to see the momentum and just kind of where we are in Indigenous tourism here in Canada today. It's, it's incredible from where we started. It is. It's so incredible. Like tourism in itself is unique and indigenous tourism is just like, boom, like, holy shit. So, okay, let's talk about your career. What did you do before ITAC? You have education in, what's the word? (laughs) Criminology. Criminology. (laughs) Criminology and tourism. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's a funny journey. I mean, I remember being six years old and having a conversation with my dad about what I wanted to do with my life. And then it was, I was going to be a lawyer. And I went through high school thinking I was going to be a lawyer. I went to Simon Fraser University because they have one of the leading criminology schools in the world. And it was like year two and a half, maybe year three, where I was like, I can't, this is not for me and it was because i would sit in rooms with the the my my peers that were on the lawyer path and they'd read the criminal code and they'd be like yeah it's there i don't have to study it again i get it they'd read a case and they'd be like yep that's obvious i'm like i don't know how i don't know how you're getting to that place so i actually kind of stepped back and thought you know what do i really want to do i've been studying first nation studies as well and I kind of went on this restorative justice path for a year and a bit. Um, I look very seriously at policing and in my naive self, I was like, you know what? I could be an indigenous cop. I could be out on the streets. I could help our people and better our community. And when I was getting ready to apply for depo to be Vancouver police, I had this moment of like, what the hell am I doing? I'm not going to make a difference as a police officer. And I started to see the culture of the cops that I'd gone to school with and kind of this like white boy club. And I'm like, I can't, this is not, this is not how I see myself. I can't subscribe to this. And so I I took a summer off and it was the first time in my life that I was like, I'm going to give myself a break to really figure out what it is I want to do with my life. Like, who am I? Do I need to figure this out right now? Is it okay for me to take a minute? And for someone as busy as I always am, that was like a really big step for me to say, you know what, I I need a minute. At the time I was working in hospitality, I'd paid my way through university, working in bars and restaurants. And I was like, worked like six to two shift. And so I wasn't seeing friends. I wasn't seeing family. I'd get up at four o'clock in the afternoon and go to bed at four in the morning. And it just was like, not a healthy lifestyle for me. And I met up with a couple of my aunties for lunch and they were like, well, you know, we've worked in tourism. I'm like, I don't know what this is, this tourism that sounds silly. I never even really heard of it as a career path. And one of my aunties said, we have this summer job. It's from like June to September. Um, why don't you come and 
work with us backfill as a bookkeeper and managing cash for this program. And so when I ended up working there, I could see the application of my criminology, but from the work that I think restorative justice is intended to do, that reconnected and reconnecting with family, reconnecting with relations from other communities, learning my family's songs, hearing my language, hearing our stories. And so criminology, yes, was good intention, but I think where I'm supposed to be and the impact that I can make on a personal level or a community level is far greater in the work that I do now in the, in the tourism space. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Long story to a short, a short question. <laughs> I know that's what the podcast is for. <laughs> I remember now, I'm sure I've heard pieces of that before, but I don't think I knew that you were in criminology and restorative justice. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I don't know if you know this, that I was in restorative justice for a few years. I didn't, but I listened to a, one of your first episodes. I'm like, in all of the days we spent on the road <laughs> in Manitoba, going from community to community, how did we miss that part? <laughs> that's so interesting. Oh my God. And so um, I learned at the conference that you can also sing. And it, it sounds like that's, that was something that you just do like on your own for fun, like in a choir or something. <laughs> I mean, I used to. I was like in high school, if there was a music class, I was going to take it. Like I did not take math 12 because that interfered with the one and only band 12 class. So I, and I did musical theater. I was in the jazz choir and the concert choir and, you know, things that don't get to come out very often. And yeah. and I will say, I mean, I am like also not a karaoke person at all. But after I was like, oh, I have a room of a thousand people to sing for now. I'm like, maybe I should start doing karaoke. So I, d- I did that on my last vacation last month. Just just for fun. Like, Here I am in Mexico. Who's ever going to see me do this again? No. <laughs> I think anybody would love to be in the audience. People would be like, oh. What is she doing here? She's too good to be here. Like- <laughs> <laughs> no, I got booed at first because it was like a room full of like, it was a um, Mexican national holiday. And so the resort we were staying at, there was like a bunch of locals. And I didn't know that the Mexicans take karaoke very seriously. And so they were like, all of them up there swaying and singing. And then I'm like, uh He's like introduces me. They start booing because they're on song like you know number eight of their weekend musical, and I'm like, I'll be singing Shania Twain. Man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> Any record of that? Do you have that on video? No, I thought they were going to record it. That's for an- the next trip, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive conference. There we go. Ooh, that is awesome. So. What would you say is your experience with like speaking and facilitating or training? I, over the last, especially five or six years, have done a lot of public speaking. And some of that comes out of necessity. I mean, I work with a CEO who at a time was everywhere and everybody and, and, but we've grown our brand. And so uh, really started speaking in bigger rooms you know, over the last few years and talking about the work we're doing in Indigenous tourism. But over kind of the middle part, I'll say, of my career, 
I did a lot of facilitation around destination development planning, meeting with Indigenous communities and talking about what their goals are. And a lot of times it's, I mean, you do facilitation, a lot of times you're not called in there when it's going to be the easiest of conversations. And so trying to build those those friendships, those relationships, those partnerships between often Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people or Indigenous people in a room on their own saying, you know, we've got a lot of people coming and saying we should do all these things. We need to decide who we are and how we're going to represent our identity in the tourism space. Um, and so it's been it's been fun. I like those challenging conversations. I like digging out that, you know, those those juicy bits of what the community sees themselves as. And in the training space, I've done a lot of work. This is like early days, though, customer service training and working with our staff and our youth, um, not only in like fundamental skills around, you know, customer service 101, if you will, but also on how to represent yourself and and your families and your communities and building confidence in, I'd say, frontline staff that are maybe not sure if the story that they have to tell is one that visitors will receive or, you know, just maybe not having confidence that they know what they're talking about. And, you know, you've worked with our youth, they sometimes are, are shy to tell their stories at the outset. And, to me, actually, some of my like highlights of my career are working with those frontline youth and just seeing where they are now compared to where they started out at the beginning, where you could get two sentences out of them, maybe, and then they'd shy away to now their leaders in their communities and teaching language programs and land-based learning and, you know, doing work that is really important for the future resiliency of our communities. That's kind of the the path, I guess, the the evolution of of, of uh, my speaking experience. So cool, so cool. Um, I love that. Like any time that I've had an opportunity to work with ITAC, which used to be ATAC. So for those listening, I worked with ATAC when they were coming into Manitoba in 2017, which is when I first met Teresa. And I was organizing regional engagement sessions, I think is what we called them. And I don't remember how many. That was fun. Like we had fun in, what was it, Dauphin? Do you remember we walked into a hotel? We all (laughs) walked out. This is what happened. We looked around, we looked at each other, and then we walked out. We're like, we're not staying here. No, I, I mean, it's like memories from the road, you know, there's stories, uh, I think on any road trip you go on with anyone, you're going to have some sort of memorable moment. I remember thinking as we pulled up or saying as we pulled up, like, it's the Dauphin Inn. We should be the Dauphin. (laughs) (laughs) But then as three women traveling and intending to stay in our own rooms, it was it was a little it was a little surprising I think <laughs> part well, of the story. <laughs> but it's been like to see the work that Indigenous tourism is highlighting and and really like kind of help coordinating is it's so emotional it's so emotional because of what you were just saying like helping people reclaim language helping youth you know, connect with land, connect with culture. The work is so rewarding that way, I'm sure. But even the international conference, there's so much of the work that is so 
emotional. Would you describe it that way? Emotional. Yeah. And I, I mean, on all levels. And often I find myself like in rooms with our teams, when I try to explain why I love what I do, I so often end up with tears in my eyes because it's so impactful on so many different levels. When we take it on a broad scale, you know, 40,000 people work in our industry. And that's not just Indigenous people. Those are non-Indigenous neighbors as well. It's $1.9 billion in direct GDP to our economy. That is significant. And when I think about, you know, the work that our ancestors did, even my grandparents did to protect our territories, tourism is a way of us maintaining who we are as Indigenous people and and taking up space. And, And for the last few years, I feel like I've said those words so many times, but we have to take up that space because if it's not us, who's going to do that work for us? And so it's emotional on that level, but then you have these these really raw moments where, you know, when you ask our operators why they do what they do, I mean, everyone has a different story, but it's so much about carrying the legacy of, of our families. And, and I think until I worked in Indigenous tourism, I didn't realize how much that I carry that as an Indigenous person. You know, you don't really think about why you do things the way that you do or think about why you think about things the way you do. Um, And it's just so ingrained in who we are. And so, you know, I think really powerful moments for me at the conference around, I mean, the the delegation that went to Rome to support our, our leadership and asking for an apology from the Pope. And when they were telling their stories, like, I, I feel like you could see my heart beating out of my chest. It was just so raw in realizing what a critical moment in time that they were a part of, not just for the Indigenous people in Canada, but for how Indigenous people should be and will be, I hope, respected in the future. And those impacts are so much greater than ourselves. It's emotional, it's raw, it's important. And it allows Indigenous people to be represented in a way that we don't see on media regularly that we don't see in the textbooks this is a very proud industry of people who are are allowed to tell their own story in their own way and make no apologies about who they are and i think that's what drives this this emotion and i also think that that's what visitors to canada and travelers within canada are really seeking that that culture, that knowledge, that connection to place. And I mean, our operators do this daily to really harness that emotion and deliver it into a consumable way so that travelers can really understand who we are. And so yes, summing it up, emotion, 100%. We lead with our heart on our sleeves, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So when my contract ended or the last time that I worked with ITAC, which again, I don't remember the dates, but I know it was around 2017. And I started doing or was already engaged in doing the blanket exercise and Indigenous awareness training. And a lot of that came from the truth and reconciliation calls to action. And what you're saying to me is like Canadians or people all over the world are starting to recognize the value of what Indigenous people have to offer when it comes to showcasing their own talent, experience, cultures. Have you found that that interest has grown since you've been in the industry? 
Oh, absolutely. Hands down. It has grown. I mean, I think back to 2017 and we were talking about the calls to action and truth and reconciliation. And they were, they were almost new words. I think we didn't really understand or maybe just me. I just didn't fully appreciate the impact that those calls to action would have on so many parts um, of our everyday life. I mean, I think back to early career, I was reflecting on this recently with a colleague and early career, we were like these awkward kids in the corner. I don't know. It's like a feeling I can't describe from like being in elementary school. We didn't grow up with money and you always had like the the hand-me-downs or like the shoes that didn't fit right, that weren't cool. And you kind of like, you're there in your class photo. And it feels, it's like that same feeling of my early career. I, I, you know, we'd be in these rooms where the only indigenous people in the room, full stop. We're there. We might not be acknowledged. There's not really any understanding of even who we are as indigenous people. This is like probably 2011, 2012. By 2017, the feel good thing was to talk about indigenous people. It was very much like we're checking a box. We've done it. Look, indigenous people are here with us. But the conversation didn't have a lot of depth. It was more so the indigenous people are here and that's enough. We've given a chair. Now, the shift in the way people are understanding indigenous people, I mean, to Kamloops was to me the real turning point for Canada's understanding. And I think it took away any doubt that Canadians had that, you know, there was truth to what had been said by the Indigenous people. But paired with that was this this COVID feeling of what are my values? How am I understanding my world? We saw the world really slow down and people see the environment start to restore itself and wildlife start to come back into our cities and our oceans and our rivers and, you know, things that we hadn't seen in so much time. So that kind of critical intersection of understanding the truth, but also recognizing that the Indigenous value set very much aligned with what travelers were seeking has absolutely changed the way that people, Canadians especially, are looking to better understand their Indigenous neighbours. And that's such an important step on this journey where, you know, people are saying, oh, I didn't even know that I could go and do this experience in my community. And Indigenous tourism is that safe space. There are people that are well-trained, well-versed in how to tell these stories, but are also that are connected to place and can give that local perspective. And so it's it's been a really interesting evolution um, with kind of these like chunked off. And I, I don't know where the future goes from here other than to say, I think that the average Canadian is much more open than they used to be to better understanding Indigenous issues and are open to hearing, you know, this is this way because of colonial practice. And so it doesn't have to be this way. We can make the world a better place by changing this policy or renaming this place to be what it's meant to be and honoring the Indigenous people in that way. So I feel like it's a, a, an evolutionary conversation that has happened over the last years, but has really, as an Indigenous person, it, it's really humbling really at, at how far we've come in such a short period of time and that's incredible to me mm, absolutely yeah thanks for mentioning the Kamloops site and that event like I can't I can't say I remember 
what the date was, but you're right. I like how you described like the world really slowed down and really had an opportunity to reflect on something that's happening in real time. We're not talking about a hundred years ago anymore. Like we're talking about this is what's going on in our country right now. And mm-hmm. people were listening. Like they had no choice, which was interesting, right? Because it was like a pandemic. So Yeah, it's like it if it had to happen at a time. It happened at a time when it was something that you could think of other than the fact that you were locked in your house. And that's kind of dark. But it, I think people gave themselves the space to really reflect on where we are now and how we go forward. And with this understanding that, yes, this is true. Right. Yeah. And it was a dark time. And it's a dark story. So, yeah, that's okay. So in the role that you have, so you have a pretty big role. I imagine, like, I, I don't completely understand the entire makeup, but the team has also grown so much since no. I left. <laughs> That's amazing. But has there ever been times where, like, in that role where you have to step up and be the voice and be the face and be the leader, are there ever times where you are, like, nervous or afraid to speak up or afraid to screw up or, you know, like, what is that challenge like for you as a leader? Yeah, I mean, I think there were some, there have been some moments, um, especially in this partnership role where, you know, sometimes I'm the only Indigenous perspective in the room. And over the last years, it's really been important for me to try and amplify my voice um, and use the space that we have or that we're given at the time to bring awareness to the Indigenous perspective. Um, But I do try to always move forward with this idea that it's okay to make mistakes or say the wrong things or not say them all the time in the right way. I think, first of all, if you're not afraid at some point, then you're way too comfortable. You need to be pushing yourself to those boundaries of uncomfortableness because that's where we have the ability to make change. I think when it you know, when you when you get that kind of like, ooh, okay, this is gonna be a big conversation. I think moving forward with the idea that I I can make mistakes, I can say the wrong thing, I can, I don't say offend someone, but sometimes, I mean, we were talking about before. Sometimes my normal self comes out, and I'll be like, I don't know what the fuck you're actually trying to say. Can we just use plain language, please? We're like marching around this issue. Um, some people don't receive that well, but that's them issue. That's not a me issue. <laughs> um, but, you know, taking up this space and pushing the boundaries of my comfortableness, because I know if I'm uncomfortable, the other person's probably uncomfortable. And, you know, a lot of times in this partnership role, it is a conversation with a non-Indigenous organization. And we're trying to look at, you know, okay, are you, you know, back to what I said about checking boxes, are you just checking a box? Or are you wanting to have a meaningful conversation about how we're going to work together and what that looks like? So I don't know if that fully answers for you. But it's kind of that like, push your limits. And then don't be afraid to make mistakes, because it does get uncomfortable. So yeah, you're so right. Like, I remember a day. And I feel like it was 2016. I was working on another contract. And I remember walking downtown towards this building and I was thinking, I feel so nervous. I feel uncomfortable because I don't know, like there's so much I don't know what's going to happen next. And my conscience mind was telling me, that's okay. Like you're safe. You can, you can keep going. 
But that's definitely a practice that people need to have. So the fact that I love that you said, like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. If I like make yourself uncomfortable or just know that if you're uncomfortable, that that's okay, because so many people stop there. So many people won't go there. And I and I know, <laughs> I mean, I see it in my team sometimes where they want to come so badly with the perfect answer. Or they want to like, you know, you see people working through this so much in their own head. And I think stepping out of your comfort zone, asking the asking the questions, working through it. It's important. It, it, it'll it get us where we need to be. And it's not always the easiest. It's not always comfortable to be the one. I mean, you know, COVID, I felt like all I said was like, from the Indigenous perspective, actually, that's not going to work for our businesses. For, you know, from our perspective, it was always, okay, here's everyone's in agreement. And then I'm the one saying this isn't going to work for us. And so it's uncomfortable when you're up against the wall or you're the only lone voice. You know, oh, I feel like I'm on fire right now. that that statement of it's okay to have messy uncomfortable conversations because that's how you get to a place like if if it's scary it's like taking that leap of faith but taking that step off of a ledge and you're like I could really mess up but if I stay here I just stay here and it's really knowing with with the goals that you have and that the company has like there's big goals. There's 20, 30 goals. Yeah. Yeah. They're lofty. And I mean, over my lifetime, I can think of like asking myself the question, is it okay to just be okay? Like, can we be better? Do we have to be a second class citizen? Is it okay just being okay? And and I think pushing the boundaries of what that okay is to be a better, bigger version of whatever that is, whether it's in work or personal or Whatever, wherever your relationships live, pushing the boundaries and not being afraid to have that. And as, as I said, sometimes I know I'm a lot. I can I can push people's buttons. I can get under their skin. But usually it's not in a combative way. It's just I want to better understand and get to the root of something. And this could be over drinks with girlfriends or in a boardroom talking about strategy. But it's just really like who I am at my core of my being and really focusing on pushing that envelope. Good for you. I think that's such amazing role model for young Indigenous women. We need women of all kinds of energy levels, right? We need loud people. We need the quieter people. <laughs> Everybody, all the different versions. So I love that. It's funny you say that. I, I think it's over the last few years, I've really come I think to understand how we all play a role in this makeup you know it used to confuse me when someone was really quiet or you know when maybe they were more introverted I'm like oh god I get in my head I'm like am I offending them am I talking too much am I you know and then we'd part ways they'd be like oh it's so nice talking to you and I'm like I didn't feel I felt like I was talking to you and I'd I'd be so uncomfortable in myself but I think harnessing you know, the skills of all has really been something over the last while I've come to appreciate <laughs> the space that I take up and then the space that others want to or or do take up on their own. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Side note. <laughs> There's this creator, I can't think of her name right now, but I follow her on, on Instagram and she says, if I'm too much, go find less. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> That's a t-shirt for sure. <laughs> I think she might actually have it on a t-shirt. But it's so true. It's like, 
Like we have to stop because I think we've been taught this, but we have to stop trying to dim our lights around others. Right. And that was my experience growing up. Every experience I had, I felt to me was like another layer of why I needed to hide, why I needed to be quiet. Um, I wasn't worthy of being heard or seen and all of that sort of stuff. But I love that now, like the the messages and the support around women, which is, I think, is another thing that was sort of amplified around the pandemic was uh, the support publicly for like just womenhood and sisterhood and that sort of thing. And like encouraging each other to like shine, like shine brighter. Someone needs to go put on sunglasses on, let them put their sunglasses on. Don't stop shining. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I think this recognition of what women in the workforce do both at home and at work was really highlighted as well for me. And it almost sad, really saddened me, actually. I heard that there were many women that you know, during the pandemic, we're leaving the workforce because they, they, the priorities had shifted and, you know, we'd made so much progress on one side, but then we were seeing our women leave the workforce for a number of reasons. And I don't know, I mean, I guess to each their own, we all have our own priorities and our, our, you know, I just, I think we're, we're only on the up and up as, as women and as indigenous women growing up. I mean, I had really strong female role models and, you know, power suits and lunches and their nails were always done. And I remember thinking like, one day I'm going to be like that. And now here I sit in front of you in a hoodie, my hair a mess. (laughs) But, you know, taking that boardroom, because that's what I saw. That's what I saw in the women that came before me. And I think that's even going further back, a reflection on my my grandpa, who was an Indigenous school survivor or residential school survivor, and he really instilled in me and I think in the generation before me that, you know, you, you be proud of who you are and whatever that looks like, you you hold that and we will hold you up for you being who you are. And that's something that I've carried with me for a long time. It's actually why I finished my education in criminology, even though I didn't want to. Um, because he, my grandpa was university educated for his time. That was unheard of. My mom was university educated. It was instilled in me that this was what I needed to do to be who I was going to be. And I'm grateful for that. Amazing. I love that. Yeah, it's so exciting. Such an exciting conversation. Um, so let's see, as we start to to wrap up, what would you say is like one of the best experiences that you've had in your career that has taught you something? What was one of the, the biggest lessons? Oh, that's taught me something. Leaving the hard one to last. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> um, I think my career has really taught me that as I said before, it's okay to take up space. I can think back to moments in my life where, as you said, you're, you're taught to like hide things. You're taught to have shame in who you are. And even when I started out in this industry, I was a little bit shy. I would shy away from how I would tell people who I am because I'm not a status card holding Musqueam band member. So I would ask my aunties, you know, is it okay for me to say 
I'm Musqueam. Is that okay for me to say that? What if someone fact checks me, you know, and they would encourage me and say like, no, this is who you are. And it's okay for you to say that. And not only is it okay for you to say that, it's okay for you to say that as publicly and as loud as you possibly can. Where I really got challenged on that, I think was, it was in the Prairie Provinces actually, where, you know, I think our identities are very different. We're all Indigenous people, of course, but the fact-checking, I guess the way that you fact-check in the prairies, indigeneity with a little bit of side-eye and, and a silent room, um, then I would start to doubt myself again. Like, is this is this okay? So I, I had to learn to just be confident and comfortable in who I am and then make jokes about myself to try and get a laugh out of the room because... Um, you know, in, in uncomfortableness, I tend to make jokes at times. But really, now I can comfortably say I am completely okay standing up and being who I am and being completely okay with that. Um, and that's what my career, I think, has, has underscored for me and taught me time and time again is to hold my head up and to be who I am. And yeah, I, I think that's the biggest lesson that I would take away. Do you truly love what you do? I love what I do. Like, I think you you have to love what you do in this industry because if you didn't, you would be tired and you would be beat down. <laughs> you know, it is a people industry. And it's something actually I really learned about myself during COVID is how much my soul needs that in-person human interaction. Like I love the room full of people where you can introduce friends and make business connections and find that person that you know is the perfect business match for a problem this person has. And it wasn't until I was back in a room, I, I had kind of like a critical moment in fall of maybe 2021, where I was like, is this, is this it now? Is this filling me up? Like, is this what makes me happy? And I went to a conference in Alberta with Indigenous Tourism Alberta. And it was like, as soon as the drum hit for grand entry, I was like, oh, she might be back. And then meeting people and hugging people and seeing people and hearing our stories and our songs and meeting with the operators. I was like, this is just what I was missing. I'm a people person. I am, I am fiery. I am, I'm a rabbit. It's the year of the rabbit. I like to run around and be busy. And I can't do that in a, you know, office at home. I need to be out and connecting with people and, I love what I do. I really, really do. And I feel like when you've almost lost what you love, you know, then you're like, oh, I'm going to hold on to it more. <laughs> oh my God, that's so beautiful. And I knew that was going to be the answer because I can tell. Like, even <laughs> at the, the conference last month, like, you, you just, I, I don't know what the word is. Like, people always say, you're just glowing. I don't know that that's necessarily <laughs> but there's just something about your energy that's, you're just like, yes, this is what I'm meant to do. Yeah. So, thanks for sharing that. Thanks so much. Oh, thank for you. On my podcast today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. This has been fun. It's good to catch up, and we'll have to uh, find a reason to get together again soon. Yes, <laughs> I yeah, I'm up for that. 
So where should people go to learn more about Indigenous tourism? We have a website for consumers, destinationindigenous.ca, and you can explore on kind of your interest types, if you like outdoor adventures or wineries and spas, or maybe you're, you know, looking for uh, an Indigenous bite. Um, There's categories all over for all over Canada, every province and territory. Uh, So go check it out and plan your next trip. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here and listening to the podcast. Miigwech, Ecosse, Merci. I want to take every opportunity that I can to tell you that you are worthy. And if something in this message resonated with you, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And send a link to your sister, your best friends, and your cousins, because if there was something in this message that resonated, then they might want to hear about it too. If maybe taking a screenshot is your thing, share it on your Instagram story. And don't forget to take me at jesskadumas.ca. 